What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I am. Uh, I have the pleasure today of being joined by a virtual guest, uh, Jamie Shemansky, who is an industry analyst, founding partner at Kaleido Insights. And I met um, Jamie virtually through our good friend, Jeremiah Aoyang, who we have interviewed earlier. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So the way I like to do these podcasts is I like to start a little bit with where you came from, and then we'll talk a little bit about um, what you've been up to, you know, your current role, current company, since some folks may not be as familiar with Kaleido, uh, although once I think they learn a little more about your background, they'll it will all come together. Uh, and then in particular, you recently had the pleasure of attending NRF 2018, um, which is part of the National Retail Federations. It's their big flagship event. You have some trends from that. Uh, and then we'll get through the the end of it. But let's start with just you know your your background um, after University of Wisconsin. Uh, I know you had a job at um, Blue Door Consulting, but it seemed like soon thereafter you kind of jumped into the analyst space. And I'm always curious, especially with folks that do um, are analysts and do analyst work. You know what what made you passionate about that, and what got you started uh, heading down that path? Yeah, it was a pretty organic growth process. Really, I mean, industry analyst wasn't exactly a major choice in college or a clear set career option for me. But I did have the opportunity to be a marketing consultant for a few years, right out of school. And I found myself, when I was giving recommendations to clients um, in consulting work, I was always searching for data and research to really back up what I was recommending in my claims. And I was pushing clients to move faster into the future of digital in particular. So I thought it would be time to pivot more into that world of research and analysis. And and that was really when I moved out to San Francisco to be in the thick of it all. Um, And that was when I transitioned at that point from the consulting world uh, to Altimeter Group, where I first was a researcher and grew through the ranks there to do a lot more analysis around social business strategy and digital transformation. Well, that's great. And I think, uh, if I'm correct, you joined in about 2011. And uh, Charlene um, Lee, Jeremiah Aoyang, uh, Brian, um, were all there at that point, And you get to work with them. So, you know, what was that like? I mean, you're a very smart person. I can tell that based on the, the research I've done and what Jeremiah has told me. But uh, those are also very, you know, three very smart and driven people. You know, what was the, the atmosphere and the feel sort of at Altimeter at its height before uh, I know Jeremiah peeled off and then um, Profit bought the company. And I think you left at about that same time. Yeah, it was thrilling. I mean, I really looked up to a lot of the people who were partners and analysts at Altimeter Group before I came there. It was really fast paced, a really fun place to work with a lot of smart people converging around the future of digital. Uh, These are people I had looked up to for years um, with their work and seeing them present at conferences. And I learned a lot from my time working with them at Altimeter. A lot of my colleagues there are still great friends and mentors who I kept in touch with um, even after departing the company um, in both my independent role as well as through Kaleido Insights. And it was, it was exciting. I was thrown into the deep end pretty quickly there and I built a lot of skills and 
made so many fantastic connections that I really credit today with a lot of my career growth. Well, that's awesome. And I realize I, Brian Solis was the Brian I was referring to. So for anyone uh, out there, I'm, I'm friendly with all three. Um, you, I, I shouldn't just assume that they know that the Brian there is uh, Brian Solis. So Charlene and Brian are still at Altimeter. Um, but fast forward to, I think it was last year, about middle of the year. And I actually remember Jeremiah sitting down with me and saying, hey, I've got, a, uh, I got something I have to tell you. Um, and he and I talked a little bit back in August about that. Uh, but you're one of the co-founders and you guys came together with a few of your other, I think a few former colleagues as well as some other new folks, uh, to form Kaleido. And as I mentioned, I did interview Jeremiah and we talked a little bit about this, but for folks that maybe didn't have the luxury of listening to that, um, talk a little bit about what, uh, Kaleido Insights does, maybe how it's a little bit different than some of the other, uh, anal- um, analysis firms, uh, analyst firms, I guess is the, the simpler way to say it. And then let's talk a little bit more about what you focus on day to day, which I think will lead into, uh, our discussion about NRF. Absolutely. Our mission at Coletto Insights is really to help digital leaders make sense of the onslaught of technologies that are at their disposal and to prioritize really what matters most. So we're different in our research approach. We do this through a research and advisory approach that really is tripartite. We focus on how new technologies impact humans, so the consumer angle, how they impact organizations and businesses internally, And then also what are the ecosystem impacts of these new technologies? And the four partners of the firm use this methodology combined with our coverage lenses to really get a bigger picture in terms of what emerging tech trends are coming out um, rather than focusing just so niche on one technology play. So for example, my partner, Jessica Grumman, she studies the impacts of IoT and AI and automation, whereas Jeremiah Auying examines corporate innovation and new business models, and Rebecca Lieb, she is our expert on content strategy, media, and advertising. Well, I focus on digital transformation and customer experience design. So I'm sure you can see how those four coverage areas Combined with this research lens of consumers, businesses, and ecosystems, we really cover the gamut of what digital leaders are concerned with right now, some of the challenges they're facing, and what's on their roadmap for the years to come. Um, And you're absolutely right. That is what brought me to NRF this year. I've done a lot of research over the past year in particular on the future of retail and how digital technologies are affecting especially customer experience design, but also a few other departments. Retailers, so I was really excited to uh, get over to uh, the Javits Center in in New York uh, just earlier this month to see what's coming down the pike for retail. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing your recap because I did do a little bit of poking around myself and uh, on the site it. It was interesting. One of the the sort of key takeaways they mentioned was retailers need to adopt disruptive technology if they want to remain relevant among digitally savvy shoppers. I'm reading that, of course. And in some ways, that feels like a no duh. Like, I think that's been something that's been said over the past, you know, 10, 15 years. And this is coming from a guy that geeks out on mobile technology and location based technology a little bit. Um, But in some ways, it's almost like I was surprised that that was a takeaway and somewhat pleased to hear that. And I don't know how much you'll talk about these. won't steal your thunder, but I know that um, probably not surprisingly, they mentioned that some of the topics that got covered were um, artificial intelligence, AR, VR, uh, conversational commerce, which um, if you don't cover that as one of your trends, I would love to maybe drill down on what that is a little bit more. Um, so let's let's hear your take and 
And, uh, you know, do you feel like enough of the folks that were there that aren't the Amazons of the world or, you know, some of the, the forward thinking folks, um, did they hear the message and, and what are they doing about it? Yeah, I agree with you that uh, to say that, of course, retailers need to adopt disruptive technology to remain relevant. Uh, a little bit of a no duff phrase, right? I feel like we could maybe say that every year and at almost every conference and, and some in a different industry, right? Uh, but I do think that there were, I mean, geez, NRF is huge first. I mean, there was 40,000 people that converged uh, for this conference. And it wasn't only the big players, you know, Amazon, Intel, IBM, um, Salesforce, et cetera. There were also a lot of interesting startups that are also reflective of a few key trends that I'm seeing that will impact retailers and also just any organization really who is in B2C um, in the coming years. So overall, I see retail getting a lot smarter. Um, and my trends focus on three key areas. The first we'll talk about is supply chain. The second is marketing. And the third is customer service. So I'm seeing smarter supply chains emerge down to the product level. And this is being done with Primarily, I'm seeing individual RFID tagging and it's because it's not enough anymore to track products by bin or shipment in retail, right? You can't just track a box of shirts. You have to track it to the individual shirt level because of all of the data that we need to use to see things like product movement, movement on the sales floor, or even areas of greatest theft or shrinkage among employees and customers. Um, I'm seeing this trend of individual product management and supply chain also inform real-time inventory management. So I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of these BOPIS models, which is buy online, pick up in store, that are creating um, uh, inventory issues for retailers that their system is not quite in real time. It's tracking by the bin level, and it says they have a shirt you might want, but once the customer gets there, you don't have it. And this completely mitigates that concern. Um, then we add AI to the picture, and you really can see this full picture emerge for seeing where products are going on a sales floor, um, how merchandising comes into play and signage, as well as sales strategies for associates. If you can see that a certain product is moving through a department in an area, well, you can put a sales associate there. You can even track it in real time and, and approach that customer. Um, so smarter supply chains is definitely the first thing I saw emerge. The second would be in marketing. And this is where you talked about AR, VR. Absolutely. AR is going to be the driving force behind new consumer engagements because the future of digital customer experience really is on demand, right? It's an on-demand experience creation. So I saw a myriad of different examples, all of which were really fun and exciting. Um, everything from overlaying a makeup routine, I think that was at the Intel booth with Estee Lauder, um, over to um, AR overlay that can animate Funko Pop toys on their packaging, and that was by a, a Spacey in the Innovation Lab. Or honestly, even something as simple, um, there were a lot of vendors there who had dynamic pricing that was digitally displayed on shelves that really changes the game um, in merchandising and, and pricing that can change by the hour rather than by the day or the week. So the trend there in marketing is it's going to take a lot more to grab consumer attention in store. And finally, let's talk about customer service. 
One thing that I thought was interesting that I didn't expect to see so much of at NRF was facial recognition and, and specifically tying it to loyalty programs. So I think that over time, um, especially in the last year, consumers have gotten more used to the prospect of facial recognition and in general biometric authentication um, as, as an okay way to unlock their phone or to access their devices. So now retailers are starting to use it as well. Um, so there were a few demos of floor associates that were utilizing facial recognition to see customer history, what you've bought before, um, to make product recommendations, and honestly, just overall deliver better customer service. So we see it combined with loyalty programs first, because that's usually where customer records live in a night nice, you know, tight space there. But I can see this being combined in the future, um, you know, with in-store chatbots, which gets into the conversational commerce angle, right? Or robots that will fully automate this customer service process on a one-to-one -one personalized basis. So we're getting smarter in retail, supply chains, marketing, and customer service. Those are the three big trends I saw. That was helpful, and I actually, um, I, I guess I'm not shocked to hear any of those, but I love how they're thinking about it. I like the way you focused on that, and thank you for trying to, you know, work in all those things. I guess the one that I mentioned that I did see um, that the NRF mentioned on their site was this AR VR, and I'm, I know VR will definitely have its applications, virtual reality. I'm a believer that AR probably will have more near in. Um, applications, particularly for retail, you know, whether it's getting directions to things or overlaying product information as you sort of hold up your phone or tablet or whatever it is, maybe glasses, you know, have you spent any time thinking about that? Or was there anything that you saw that maybe struck you? I know you mentioned the facial recognition, which, you know, you could argue has a role in some AR if it wants to, uh, you know, help trigger an experience, but um, maybe speak a little bit about that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, we'll definitely see AR I'm coming down the pike sooner than VR. I agree. I think that um, people are getting used to AR applications, whether it's in filters on Snapchat or Facebook Messenger or even popular games like Pokemon Go and a lot of other retailers who are experimenting with uh, things like pop-up stores on AR um, that can live anywhere, again, to create these on-demand experiences. So we're definitely seeing AR emerge as a way to um, increase the personalization of an experience. So as I mentioned, um, there's not only, you know, in, in the makeup capacity, but there are also retailers right now like Uniqlo that are experimenting with an augmented reality dressing room. So you can pick, uh, look, look into one of their mirrors in the store, some of their flagship stores, you can pick a coat and it puts it over you on the mirror uh, without ever having to try it on. So we're definitely seeing AR as a way to make experiences more fun in store and also more convenient. Um, as for VR though, I did see a couple interesting applications. Um, one was in the innovation lab that Visa um, was sponsoring there with, with a vendor that they're working with on creating these shoppable experiences within virtual reality. So they were demoing it on um, more like a Google Cardboard um, hardware piece, but they have plans to go into more immersive VR um, on, you know, the Oculus Rift or HTC Vive, where you could be playing a game and go into a store on the game and actually browse products and see what it would look like on an avatar that looks like you, and you connect it to your payment solution and you can and you can buy from there without ever having to go into the store. So again, it's this new 
it's this new channel that sort of lives between real world brick and mortar and the online store that we're used to because you still don't have to leave your home, but it feels a lot more immersive than clicking around online. Well, that's fascinating. I guess uh, two follow-on questions, if you don't mind, and then we can get to the more about you part of the show. So one is, how far away do you feel like we are? And, and I know some stores are actually already experimenting with it, which will answer my second question a little bit. But how far away do you think we are from sort of seeing some of this stuff become more mainstream? You did mention the the a the the AR um, in flagship stores and the ability to sort of virtually see clothes on you. So that's cool. The second is, you know, were there any uh, retailers there? Maybe both on the early adopter and the laggards, and maybe we'll call the early adopters out by name and the laggards. We won't necessarily call out, but maybe we'll talk a little bit about, you know, will they get it? Um, is there a particular industry that's lagging in particular in the retail space? Um, and, you know, what do they need to do to get it? So I know that's a long-winded question, but if you don't mind taking that, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, I mean, in general at NRF, there are more it's much more occupied by vendors and new technologies in that space. So it can be easy to get swept into it and to think this is all happening today. So I think this is a great question in terms of what the timeline is. I think we'll definitely see in the coming year in particular, AR coming more into the mainstream in retail. And again, it's only because we're used to these behaviors already in other applications on our phones. So if mobile is the conduit to these experiences, we'll naturally see them emerge as well. And there are a lot of retailers. As, as I already mentioned, um, everyone from Uniqlo to Sephora to Estee Lauder to um, there's a Chinese grocery store, Yihaudian, that's doing this really interesting thing with pop-up grocery stores. There are a lot of leaders who are experimenting you know, in their innovation teams in, in small pockets. But I think we'll see those come a little bit more to the forefront uh, this year. In terms of VR, though, it will take some time. Absolutely. Um, and I think, again, that's a reflection of if you look at, you know, sales of headsets, even. It's much, much lower than the penetration of mobile devices and smartphones that have um, AR capabilities. So I think that we're seeing we're much more on the early phases of experimentation um, in VR. But uh, we will eventually see it once those devices are purchased by more people and the devices themselves hit mainstream and, and go beyond the use cases that we're seeing right now, which for consumers are primarily um, gaming. And then, you know, for the enterprise level, it's primarily training. So I think that once those use cases expand, we'll see retail popping up a lot more as people are more comfortable um, purchasing and shopping in virtual environments. Great. Thank you for your uh, thoughtful answer there, because I know it was a long <laughs> two-part question. Um, and that really is fascinating. And so, I, you know, as someone that doesn't necessarily spend a ton of time focusing on retail, although I do focus on mobile, I do like knowing, you know, what's going on and hearing the latest and greatest. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will as well. Um, maybe we can even include a link to the uh, NRF site because, like I said, there were some wrap-ups that were there. I do want to start to shift a little bit and talk a little more uh, about you. And I like to do sort of a new thing, which I'm going to ask you, and then a couple of things I've been doing um, over the, the course of the interview. So one of the fun things that I like to ask folks and um, the last two interviews I did that I guess I got answers were from uh, Chef Aron Sanchez from the Food Network. And 
David Kirkpatrick, who runs Techonomy, and I was uh, surprised by the answers, pleasantly surprised. But uh, Jamie, if you, you would indulge us, tell us a little bit about something that maybe people don't know about you that um, they would be surprised to know that obviously you feel comfortable sharing in public. Yeah, this was one that I had to think about what I did feel comfortable, you know, bearing my soul <laughs> to everyone listening. Um, I do have a, a small bucket list item that I thought would be fun to share. Um, I do have this far-fetched dream of someday getting into stand-up comedy. Now, of course, everyone listening is going to judge everything I say from here on with comedic value. But really, I've always been really fascinated with that world. I love stand-up comedy. I jot jokes down and observational bits into a notebook. And I feel like it's baby steps to someday getting on stage and open mic night. Well, that's cool. And I will say, one, you are very poised and you've been very cooperative and people when they hear this won't necessarily hear it because I'm going to edit out the pauses but I did ask you in the pre-prep show prep if you would be kind enough so that we didn't overlap one another as we're editing it um, to leave pauses and you've been very respectful and remember that every time but you have a a certain bounce to your voice and I absolutely could see you doing stand-up comedy someday so uh, fingers crossed that we can bring that to life but obviously after you you and Jeremiah have gone and made uh, millions with Kaleido Um, the second one I like to ask just to sort of talk about who's influencing the influencers is, uh, any books that you've read over the last year or two, or, you know, in Jeremiah's case, he does audio books, but books that have inspired you that you'd love to to share with our listeners. Yeah. One of the best books I've read in the last year was the 2017 edition of non-obvious by Rohit Bhargava. So every year he comes out with 10 to 15 trends that he calls non-obvious. Um, in trends, and these are trends in culture, marketing, technology, it really spans the gamut, um, that are, you know, collated through an entire year of him plucking articles and ripping out things from magazines or jotting down notes. Um, And it's an incredibly important book for me to read because it helps identify these macro trends that really shape my research. Because you have to understand society at large and all its quirks if you're going to make any sense of digital behaviors, especially in my field. So, for example, in this last book, um, in the 2017 edition, he had a couple of them that really resonated with me and impacted my work in customer experience design. And those were desperate detox, which is we are being inundated with so much technology that we just want to shut it off. So what is the impact of that on organizations that are trying to involve new tech as much as they can in experience design? Um, then also side quirks. I think this definitely you know, connects to the gig economy and the rise of contractors and how those are impacting um, strategies internally around digital talent acquisition and corporate innovation programs um, and how our side quirks are being embraced a lot more and everybody seems to have their own side gig these days. Um, so every year he comes up with really interesting trends that uh, I, I love to read. It's a quick, fun read um, and it has a lot of you know easy recommendations in it too for anybody that's interested. Well, I, I'm like that for two reasons. One, um, Mr. Bargava is a uh, close friend and actually has come and uh, spoke at one of our events last year at South by Southwest. And uh, he gave out some of his his books. And I've actually read a, a good portion of that and talked to him. He talked a little bit actually about how he does come up with those uh, trends. And so I, I do highly recommend that as well. Um, and it is good, I think, to understand, to have a methodology and, you know, the way that he shared that and the way he does think about it, I think is good. And I hadn't realized that he 
had been collecting these trends, I think, for the last 10, 15 years. And, uh, you know, and does the updated, you know, list and, and obviously put the book out there not, and non-obvious. So um, great to hear that you are also an appreciator. Uh, for the final question, I do like to ask people, and it's more hearing their thought process and the answering than actually even the answer themselves. But I am always pleasantly surprised or often pleasantly surprised by the answer. Um, so I like to ask guests, you know, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island. You can only bring one album uh, with you or a CD or a, a playlist of a particular album, ideally off of uh, Spotify. What is it and why would be your answer? This one's tough, Aaron, uh, but uh, probably the most recent kids thought. <laughs> no, probably actually um, an album called Little Seeds from Shovels and Rope. Uh, they're one of my new favorite bands, I should say. And I've really been obsessed with this album on and off for the past year because it has a really wide range of soulful tracks and vocals that span a lot of different moods. So I was thinking, what would I want on a desert island? I'd probably want different moods in the same album. So everything from you know, vindictive to really melancholy, super grateful and happy and more. So I think it would offer enough variety to keep me occupied. You know, I guess at least until the batteries ran out of whatever device that I also happened to have with me on the deserted island. Well, we, we don't let the battery or how you listen to it become an issue because, you know, in our fictional world, uh, we have infinite batteries. But uh, I do know Shovel and Rope. I haven't listened to them a ton, but that's got me intrigued. And I will check them out. You're, I think, my 45th or so guest on the show. And uh, that has definitely not been anyone else's answer. So I like the uniqueness of that. And with that, uh, I will wrap up. Uh, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What's Know podcast. I've had the pleasure today of speaking to someone who's incredibly smart, very charismatic, and maybe a, a stand-up comedian someday. Uh, that's Jamie, Sh- Jamie Schmansky, who's an industry analyst and a founding partner at Kaleido Insights. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.